This is a stub of an episode. I've been doing episodes that are very long, that are an hour long. So this one is going to be, hopefully, just a 10 minute episode. But it's also not going to be an episode saying anything, but it's essentially opening a few doors. So that's right, let's get started. Welcome to Learner Centered Design Education. I'm your host, Saumitri Vartharajan. A storm is brewing. It's Melbourne. There's always a storm around the corner. And I'm sitting at, um, in my unique uh, podcasting studio, which is a bench in my backyard. So today's topic is the analytic philosophy and speculative philosophy. Now, this other part of the opposition, the binary of analytic versus the other, was, till this time, or till this morning, was continental. So you had the analytic and the continental, and that was the way it was. But this morning, there's an episode of philosophize this and they were talking about the fact that uh, there is a thing called speculative philosophy which is different from analytic and I think the speculative is a grab all for everything else that is not analytic philosophy now I did sort of encounter analytic and speculative or analytic and in those days continental in 1998 my dear friend and at that time my philosophy tutor was a former engineer and if you're an engineer, then after you finish engineering and you go into philosophy, you run far away from the engineering side to things. So the focus on mathematics, on logic, on analytics, you don't want that anymore. And I was an engineer who was doing philosophy. And so I would run away from if I want my analytical stuff, I will go back into engineering. If I don't want it, that is why I'm in philosophy. So I am sort of looking at the narrative side to my soul. But before I encountered my philosophy tutor, I had been sort of inculcated into pop philosophy through a whole bunch of readings. But I am a Tamilayangar. So I have been uh, jumping in and out of laps when I was a baby and uh, those people who owned those laps were saying things like, well, the thing about, let's say, God for now. So we are going back into God now. The thing about God is that um, those people, let's say the Anglosphere, there is one God. Yeah, the people who do the analytic philosophy, they have one God. Uh, the rest of us, who are not in the one God world uh, have this sort of notion of monotheism. And so when the analytics would look at India, they'd go, oh, this is uh, a pantheistic culture, you know. So essentially what we're talking about it is there exists one God or many gods, or that's one kind of thing. But hey, let us leave gods as a 
in, in systems thinking terms, it is the other. Okay. And within the kind of discourse that you will find amongst Vadyars, amongst people who are sitting down uh, before a meal, after a meal, they're getting together and they're saying, so what did you think about that particular discourse? And then there will be this big conversation and I'd be sort of, you're children and you're listening to this thing and then you're going and saying, mm, that's really interesting. So uh, it is as though you are, uh, the, the air is perfumed by uh, intellectual discourses. So uh, did I grow up in the glass bead game? Absolutely, I grew up in the glass bead game. So, for example, let us go down a speculative pathway here. So, there are a couple of people and they're having this conversation about, you know, the thing about dualism. Okay, so then automatically a door has been opened, which is uh, monoism is that uh, there is a God, and the, but the God is me, or the God is inside me, and I need to connect and do all that sort of stuff. And uh, or there is the notion of the soul, you know, I have a soul and it is inside me. So we leave the God business because now you are entering into the kind of conversations because they wouldn't be talking about God, but they were talking about soul or spirit or uh, the supernatural or something like that. Do we have better words for it? Let's go with soul, um, which is different from soul soup and soul cafe and smoking pot and having soul and all that sort of stuff. This is soul as in uh, philosophical construct. So there is the body that you have and then the body has a soul but what if there is all the bodies of the planet and they all have different souls then is the soul divisible and suppose you were to say the soul is not divisible but there exists one soul which is the planetary soul and you borrow bits of it which means like a lending library so you've got a bit that you've borrowed and then you have it and then you live a life and within sort of celestial time you've just occupied a very very tiny fraction of that time so you've borrowed that soul you've had it and then it goes back and mixes up with the central soul you have the notion of dualism um, so there exists the other and you give it different kinds of names you want to call it god okay you want to pray to it Ooh, maybe maybe not but you can indulge in the philosophy of the existence of uh, the natural the physical the visible the empirical the experiential and there are some experiences and some thoughts that take you beyond what is imminent what is physically accessible and so those are Okay, you want to call them abstractions? Fine, you can call them abstractions, but there exists uh, an ecology of abstraction or an ecology of things that you cannot see. And you can't disprove that it doesn't exist, so you can speculate, and so speculative thinking goes there. Then what you then get is that you get monoism, then you get dualism, then you get non-dualism, and then you get visished uh, special non-dualism. Now, uh, my father sort of and a bunch of people there that they're part of subscribe to this notion of essential non-dualism, visished advaitam. And so you go down the path and you can essentially uh, have a conversation about the special non-dualism. 
the purpose of going into this space is philosophy is something that I have grown up with. Most people have grown up with, but they haven't called it philosophy. And herein lies the fundamental question that when I say to a student, you have to do a project, uh, you have to do a literature review, and in that um, make a cross, and above the line you have philosophy of, and the sociology of, but we're currently talking about the philosophy of. So the other thing is, but I'm a designer, and I'm doing a PhD. Why should I do philosophy? No, you don't need to do it. Uh, PhDs don't need to be about philosophy. But if you want to do it about philosophy, but if you're in the place, like the sort of place that I mentioned, you might enjoy doing philosophy. It is possible that tomorrow somebody comes up and wants to do their PhD with you, and you might have to say, no, you can't do it with me because I don't do philosophy. But you might say, I really like the project. I, I would like to supervise you. I'd like to be on your panel, but you can't do philosophy. So it is a good skill to have. It is understanding yourself. And then it's very stylish. So if you're in Melbourne and you're doing a PhD here, then you, somebody says Deleuze and Guattari, and then you go, yeah, they've, yeah this is 2000 and they're really fashionable. Uh, and then if it were the early 2000s, then they would say, oh, you read Foucault? I said, yes, yes, I do. And uh, maybe you should come and talk to us about Foucault. Baudrillard, not so much. Uh, you should have left Baudrillard in India. You should have left a whole bunch of those guys back in India. But Lanfi, no, no, Saussure, no. You, you want to do semiotics? You have to go back to India. But if you want to do philosophy, you want to do the philosophy of space, you want to do you know, contemporary philosophy. So you will often find that philosophy is really hard, is it? So before I encountered my philosophy tutor, um, had I read, um, when I went to engineering, like all of everybody there, we were all reading, uh, you know, um, a paperback book on uh, uh, philosophy. Uh, so it's Will Durant, he's popularizing philosophy. So you read about philosophy, you... Uh, read Thus Spake Zarathustra. You haven't read that? Okay. Maybe I went to a really weird school or maybe the people I hung out with were into reading philosophy. But it was there. It was everywhere. I mean, uh, Nietzsche, not read? Uh, okay. But Kant? No? Okay. But uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti? I mean, uh, you would read it, Jiddu, when you were in school because everybody has got that around and uh, my home is full of books. So is there's Krishnamurti there? So uh, everybody reads philosophy. It's just one of those things you read. So if you read nonfiction, you do read philosophy. You read psychology. You read um, I don't know philosophy, sociology of science. I don't know what is Fritjof Capra. If you're an engineer, you read Capra. You read about physics and you read uh, philosophy and physics and you read Gottlesebach and. There is, these are all porous containers, so everybody has read a bit of philosophy, so everybody knows a little bit. And if you are into this space saying, I'm religious, uh, that is a philosophy, because that is entirely a uh, fictional construct, and you believe in an abstract fictional construct, and so you have a rational basis for believing in an abstract fictional construct, uh, you're a philosopher. No, I'm just a religious person. You could be, but would you like to sit down and talk about sin? And uh, can you talk about sin in engineering? No, there is no. Sin is not a, a gear or a component that you can put into a machine. So it doesn't have any physical form. So you can't. it's not actually 
uh, engineering can't deal with it. You go and talk to those guys who's standing over there. It's raining now. So I've got to go and stand over there. I've got to go and stand under my fig tree, which will make different kinds of sounds. So the case has been made that you are listening to this and you have rudimentary understanding of philosophy, just like uh, you, you have 400 words of Hindi because you now will know that shampoo is a Hindi word, which means uh, it is useful. And the beauty of philosophy is that it is for in, an industrial designer, if you're designing products and if you're an engineer and you're designing machines, then it is not relevant for your job and that makes it and an illicit pleasure. And the beauty of uh, the PhD is not in its utilitarianness. I'm sure there is. I mean, if you are doing a PhD in a, a laboratory and uh, you're sort of injecting mice, then it is not supposed to be an illicit pleasure. They are mice and they are lab, you know, uh, Drosophila melanogaster. I might have the pronunciation wrong, but in school you studied fruit flies. And they're not supposed to be an illicit pleasure. They are uh, Mendel talking about uh, evolution, and, uh, acquired traits, and so on and so forth. So, but he, as a speculative space, it is. Uh, it has to be an illicit pleasure because it, if it isn't, then you will only be able to do analytical philosophy. Now, Russell is crystal clear. He is like water. He's like um, soda water. But continental philosophy is tastier because it is not soda water. It is, um, what is your favorite form of uh, squash? Uh, it's lemon barley uh, put into a glass and then mixed with soda water. It is cloudy and sweet and it is a bit of sourness. And it is speculative. It goes where analytical philosophy cannot go. So, is it okay that analytical philosophy, you know, um, shut the door on Indian philosophy in 1948? And this is where I said, I have to go into a quick episode so that I can come back to it later. But then I can also answer the question, should design students read on philosophy? It is... Should you read on philosophy? It's like asking the question, should you eat mushrooms? You can justify eating mushrooms saying it's got the umami flavor and it has got some good things, but so does other stuff. Uh, I think it's not about should you read it, um, uh, should you get into philosophy. It's what is happening around you. And we're all people who live uh, in places where things are happening around us. We are socialized beings. So it is possible that your PhD needs to have uh, social flavor. It needs so coming back to continental philosophy is um, is Baudrillard, yeah? infernally difficult to read and understand and put your finger on it, and then you go back and say, "I thought you said that." But system of objects. Now, if you're an industrial designer and they haven't taught you system of objects, then your education is a bit faulty. It is missing something. It is as though you are a grown-up. And you never played any sport. And, no, well, I don't know. 
but it's um you didn't pluck um you weren't nasty to small insects when you were a child or something like that so there is a requirement uh, hypothetically that this system of objects a philosophical text if you read the system of objects as an industrial designer if you read it as a mechanical engineer because i sort of had it and then somebody borrowed it and didn't give it back to me and then i had to get another copy and system of objects essentially allows you to call it that this thing about uh, the utilitarian functionalist engineering supported uh, production of manufactured goods is 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 arbitrary uh, you could live without it and his categorization and classification of uh, materiality has this category called category called gadgets in another 1980s if you looked at a japanese uh, rajikase radio cassette recorders it was uh, as kenji akwan of jk design would say this is the japanese this is the spirit of uh, the furoshiki furoshiki is a piece of cloth into which you put things and you tie things up it's 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 a packaging a recyclable uh container which is just a uh, uh, a napkin the furoshikiization of uh the radio means the radio becomes radio plus cassette recorder and so you got rajikase radio cassette recorder and then uh, it has a television in it so sharp produced a rajikase with a television in it and you went whoa it's it is a radio and if you say i don't want to listen to a radio then you say you can listen to a cassette recorder and then no i don't want to listen to cassette cassettes and then you, say, you can watch something on television <laughs> so you have these three things in it Uh, can it make tea yes yes uh, that's come in you know but the furoshikiization of products uh, is not as popular anymore so now you got more functional proje- products but there is a lot that can be said maybe an episode on the notion of the furoshiki and uh, we can go to the gdr the german democratic republic and there is uh, zachman and her work on the state uh, s- uh, sponsored laboratories to come up with new kinds of uh, utilitarian artifacts which are quite different from what the west germans were doing but that is for later essentially continental philosophy harder to read more poetic uh, mind-bendingly complex to read but if you follow the train of thought it is different from analytic philosophy the difference is like this if you study sociology in india it's narrative sociology and then you go overseas and you meet somebody saying oh I'm, my sister as a sociologist this is really you mean all the quantitative stuff no she don't do quantitative stuff no doesn't do quantitative that must be anthropology and then you go no not an anthropologist she has a certificate i've seen it or i can ask her to show it to me and she studied sociology and then she got a certificate saying she got a sociologist and but sociology uh, had a quantitative turn and it left behind a whole bunch of people who did sociology which now you in 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 the analytic tradition you're not allowed to call it sociology you have to call it socioanthropology or you got to call it anthropology but he didn't study anthropology and so on so you're getting a sense of how this whole thing is a complete mess but mess is nice but not for the analytic philosophers now i'm going to close this conversation because i'm going to say to you hey but if it is if there are two categories you have uh the analytic 
And then you go online and you say, is the analytic philosophy only in the Anglosphere? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a, uh, lots and lots of articles. So have I been producing those articles? I did because I have to resolve this contradiction. I've been supervising for so many years and I've been saying to students, uh, go have a look at the analytic philosophers. Go have a look at this continental philosophers. When you write your thesis, how do you want to write it? Now, for those of you who have been my PhD student in the past, you would have been confronted by this. Do you want to write in a way that is explicit? And they go, yes, 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 like Mary Douglas. Do you want to write in that way? Or do you want to write in a continental way, which is using metaphorical sort of text, which means the person reading it, you know, you play with them. Text is not to communicate. Text is to bring your thoughts down on paper. And it is f to prompt the person reading it to have, let's say, uh, intellectual nourishment. You don't think that's right? Okay. So you... I do this. I say to the student, have a look at this text. Here's an example. Have a look at this paragraph. Here's another example. Which do you like? And you could go for either. You, 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 you don't like watercolor? Okay. But then maybe not continental for you. You like um, you know, Soviet realism. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Analytic tradition. You know, it's clear. It's a body. It looks like a body. And it's not hinting at it. But it could also be hinting at clouds. Is that a cloud or a dog or a crab? Um, so the notion of how much ambiguity you can tolerate or what is to your taste. Now, in design, it is possible for you to take this philosophical tradition uh, of continental versus analytic. Yeah, but you have this notion, uh, if you look at product typology, if you look at design, if you look at uh, the the totalitarianism of uh, user-centered design or the totalitarianism today of uh, the dictatorship of user-centered design, the dictatorship of uh, literal, you know, uh, talk to the market, talk to the market. They don't want it, then you can't do it. No, but this is a really good idea. I would like to make it. No, no, you can't because they, the users, the dictatorship of the market has said, you're not allowed to think that. So, okay, can I go into my lab, into my garage, and nobody's looking at me? Okay, you know, Koskinen says that the lab is a valid way to be designing. To come back to this thing, there is a category that I am playing with. You can also play with it. So, there is something called literal design, which means it, it visually looks like something. Does it look like a switch? Is it colored red? That's a switch. Thank you, Dyson. So, you've got that kind of, you know, Products have to be literal, you know, it's a door handle. It looks like a door handle. It, okay. And on the other side, you've got, in a previous podcast episode, I was talking about Memphis, but it could be a whole bunch of other things, which is uh, from the perspective that humans are by nature poetic. You know, they like puzzles. They like doing Sudoku. They like whimsical. So you can't open this door till you have solved the code. Wow, I really like that. Do you know the code? Does it have a passcode? You know, is it a fingerprint sensor? Are you, am I supposed to say, you know, open the door? So, the alternative to the crystal clear clarity of literal design is metaphorical design. No, it is not speculative design, and that is where I'm taking issue with this morning's, because speculative is, I am speculating. Yeah, but your speculation is literal. No, that is speculation. But your speculation is not mind-bending. Okay, so then speculation is not the opposition to the analytic. It is 
you have speculation inside the analytic also because all philosophy is speculation it is uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily essentializing from complex phenomena into their constituent parts that is one way of thinking about analytic philosophy or or analysis but the other way is that is speculation can be done in the analytic tradition but the continental tradition for me it is better to open the door of metaphor and so you enter a world of uh, let's say different ways of constructing and which is where if you were to come to my grandfather's house when i was a child and people are talking about visisht advaitam when they're talking essentially about uh, the notion of what is sacred and what is not or what is the difference between the sacred and the profane and they're having these conversations and i go i know profane i've heard the word but i don't know what it means <laughs> so you grow up in that tradition with a big vocabulary of words but you don't know their significances and their contexts and life becomes one of chasing down terminologies you can start to see a th- train of thought here uh, which connects with previous episodes so have i made the dialectical binary between analytic and continental and literal and metaphoric and said that no it is not analytic and speculative speculative happens on both sides um okay i'm a bit wet it and the rain's picking up thank you rain so and i have to go back in because i'm sitting in on some panels so see you later